You know, I was having a conversation earlier this week with my family, and I just threw a question out there. Maybe not the best question, but I just said, like, in all of your days, all the days that you can remember, and that was a key phrase, all the days that you can remember, because you're not allowed to answer the day that I was born, because you can't remember the day that you were born. So of all the days that you can remember, which day was the best day? Which day was your favorite? And it led to some great conversation. But I think a better question, this is where we're going to talk, Gabe, just so you know. This week, here's our question. The question for this week is going to be, what is the thing for you? What is the thing that makes your insides start to bubble and boil? What's the thing that you're passionate about? Maybe a better way to ask that. What's the thing that gets you up in the morning? Right? What is that thing that drives you to wake you up and get you going throughout the day? What is that? Because you know what I think? I think that that's the thing then that leads us to say, this is how I measure success in my life. I hit that mark or I did not hit that mark. And I think then that becomes our identity, right? And our identity becomes those areas where we say, this is what my purpose is in the world because I want to be awesome, I'm looking around, I see all these awesome people, and I want to be awesome, and it kind of reminds me of this video. Watch this. Look out of the window with all my heart. But I'll find Day four, right? get the point, right? I'm pretty sure that I tore my meniscus doing a few of those items right there, right? And these little kids are just able to do it. And so what we do is we watch everyone around us being awesome. And then we think, so I have to be awesome. And then what happens is you lead into your faith life. And when you get into your faith life, you're like, okay, everyone else seems to be awesome in my faith life too. So I'm going to pray harder. I'm going to try more. I'm going to go to that Bible study. I'm going to do this thing. And maybe if I do all those things, then I can get to that place where God is going to smile at me and God is going to say, I accept you. Come on in. If I just try a little bit more, I'm going to get to that place of earning God's favor, which brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that we're not saved by works. 
but for works. Right? We're, we're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by going to the Bible study or praying enough prayers. But we're rescued, we're saved so that we can go good, do good deeds in our lives. So if you're new with us, this is week three on a sermon series from the book of Ephesians. And uh, the title of this series is Identity Crisis. Let's take our Bibles and open up now to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we've been looking at how Paul is talking to this church about their identity, that thing that they're striving to be of who they are. And before he starts to get into a lot of here's what you're supposed to do, he's been spending a lot of time talking about who they are, who they are. And so today we're going to see three points following that same line of thinking about who we are. Number one thing we're going to see is we're dead in our sins. We are dead in our sins. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to start in verse number 1. Verse number 1. Paul writes this. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So earlier in previous weeks, we talked about how Paul prayed that his readers would understand the glorious riches of our salvation. But before I think we really understand the glorious riches of our salvation, why we needed saved in the first place is important. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about why you needed rescued, why you needed saved. And here's what he says. He says in verse number one to this church that they were dead. Of course, he doesn't mean like you physically were dead. He means spiritually you were dead. He says you were dead in your trespasses and you were dead in your sin. Two different buckets. Not the same bucket. Those are two different buckets. Trespasses and sins. And so literally, here's what he's saying. Trespasses. He's saying there's, there's some areas of the law where you broke specific parts of the law. A trespass would be like if the speed limit's 40 and you said, I don't care, it's 40, I'm going to drive 60. Boy, that's a trespass, right? And you're going to get a ticket for it because you intentionally broke the law. As sins would have been like a general heart posture against God, right? That's what he's talking about, the, the root of those two words, trespasses and sins, the general posture against God. He keeps going here, and he says that he personally is connected with them in this, right? So it's not like, let me tell you how you were bad. It's more of this, hey, let's talk about us. Let's talk about us together. And then not only does he say, okay, we've all done bad, right? We all just, in general, we've all messed up. No, he gives a laundry list here, doesn't he? He says, let's talk about the specifics of where you and I messed up. And you'll see in his language where he keeps this connection. First, he says, we're following the course of the world. But what, he, what he means here is he's saying, there are areas where you're chasing after popular culture and staying in line with making sure everyone in culture sees you as fitting in with them. And you're not chasing after the Bible. And then he says, you're following the prince of the power of the air. You're following the devil. I mean, strong language, isn't it? 
If you're looking to um, end an argument with someone, that's not what I would suggest you say. I would not suggest that you look at them and say, well, yeah, you're following the devil. Like, that's just normally not how to stop it. But that's where Paul goes. He goes straight to it. You're following the prince of the power of the air. You're following the devil. Next, in the same spirit, working in the sons of disobedience. Meaning, you're providing energy and attention to intentionally go against God's word. You ever done that? The answer is yeah. I mean, you have. That's the answer. See, it's one thing to sin and be like, oh, it slipped. I can't believe I did that. Like, I, man, that was ridiculous. I should never do that again. That's, that's one way to sin. Another way would be when you intentionally make plans and make arrangements and give effort to going against the word of God. And that's what he's saying here. Like you, you are intentionally being disobedient. And then he reconnects with himself. And he says, we were all right here at one point. You see that? We're joined together in this. It's Romans 3.23. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. But then he jumps right back in with the laundry list again. He says, living by the passions of, I just think the pronoun's interesting there, of our flesh. Do you see that? So it's not just of your flesh. I mean, he's joined in this, living by the passions of our flesh, meaning, Lord, I I know what you want from me, and I know what your word says. I just don't care. Because I have physical needs, and I want to do what I want to do. And so I'm going to do it, Lord. I know what you tell me I'm supposed to. I just don't really care right now, right? I'm going to give in to these lustful desires. And then he says, carrying out the desires of the body. So this would be the same concept, but not necessarily the lust-driven sins. But this would be where you say, I want to drink more. I want to eat more. I want to make more. I want all those other sins that are connected that I'm chasing after those. And then kind of this triplet, if you're parenthesizing all these together, there's a triplet right here where it says, carrying out the desires of my mind. So do you see how they're all kind of covered right here? You got the lustful thoughts, the, the ones of the body, the ones of the mind, the things we're thinking about, the things we're acting on, those things we're doing, all of those sins. And then he says, by nature, we were children of wrath. Here's the root of where it all came from. We're children of wrath. We, we respond and try to make excuses for it, don't we? I mean, everyone throws the hammer through the window sometimes. When you get really grumpy, you have to do it. You know, you just got mad. It slipped. It was an accident. And we we try to make excuses for it. In fact, what I want you to do is think about the sin that you're struggling with right now. That area of your life that you would say, this is not a good reflection of the Lord right now. This area, I, I really could use some sharpening. Think about that area of your life. What's the root Of that struggle you're having. Paul says in the end. It all comes down. Because by nature we were all children of wrath. So Paul is not pulling any punches here. He he says you and you and you and you and, and me. And Paul would say himself. We were all walking according to the ways of the world. We were following the devil. We were giving in to temptations of the mind. Of the body. Uh, of the uh, of lust we were giving in to all these temptations and then he says because of that there's a penalty the penalty is death 
That's the penalty. You found yourselves dead, spiritually dead. And I think what we do is we want to blame shift, don't we? What we do is we want to say, well, that sin's not my fault. It's Adam and Eve's fault. They started it all. Not Adam and Eve's fault. It was this generation or that generation. It was the Republicans' fault. It was the Democrats' fault. It was the Socialists' fault. It was those millennials. They did it. You know, it was the boomers. The boomers did it. You know, the hippies, the greasers, the whoever, right? We always want to blame somebody else. We always want to blame somebody else. And Paul just kind of gives this wake-up call of look in the mirror. Because when you look in the mirror, you're guilty and you're dead. That's where you are. You're in this place of death. Why? Because you were following the course of the world. You were following the devil. You ended up someplace you didn't want to be. It'd be, it'd be kind of like this. Imagine, imagine you and some friends, you decided like the thaw has happened and so we want to go to Mackinac. All right? It's now springtime, uh, summertime. Springtime's probably still too cold. So we're going, summertime, we're going to go to Mackinac. And you meet up, let's say you meet up at the Troy campus because right there by all the highways, right? We're going to meet at the Troy campus. And there's so many of you who meet up there that you're like, man, we need two cars. So it's no problem. We're just going to follow one right behind the other, follow the leader style. And so as long as we follow one behind the other, what can go wrong? You know, it's going to be great. And so the first car leaves, you're in the second car, and someone in your car, like right as you start to pull out, they're like, oh, oh, oh wait, it's an emergency. I'm so sorry, guy. It's, it's an emergency. I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I got to go. Like, you'll just, and so they run in, you know, go, go to the restroom. And they come back out, and they get in the car. Everybody's ready. Everybody's ready. All right, let's go. Well, the other car's already gone, right? And so you start to pull out, and then all of a sudden, that same person, the same one, they go, you know, I am kind of parched now. You know, like, now I just, I need something to drink. There's a Starbucks right there. And you're like, I could go for a nice coffee. You know, so you pull through Starbucks. Everybody gets their drinks. And, and you're in the back seat. So then you start heading down the road. And you know what you're doing. You're checking your email. You're looking at your Facebook. And, you know, you're doing all that kind of stuff. You're playing your little game and Instagramming and whatever you do. And you shut your phone. That's, I don't know, an hour, 90 minutes, something like that. Just kind of rub your eyes. You look up. You look around. And it says, welcome to Toledo. And that's when you go, I, I, I think we went the wrong way, guys. We should be passing like Flint signs or something about now, something north of here. We're in Ohio. We don't ever want to be in Ohio, right? What are we doing here? And so all of a sudden you realize like I'm not where I intended to be. I don't, I don't want to be here. I did not intend to be here. And yet here is where I am. Paul says, here's where you are. You're in a place where you're dead, you're dead. And on your own, you can't do anything about that. On your own, you can't fix it. I know we do because physically we're alive. We try to do better. We try to be better. We try to be awesome. That's what we try to do. But Paul says, no, you're, you're dead. You are spiritually dead. But, and this drives us to point two, God made us alive by grace. God made us alive by grace. Go back to your Bible, verse number four. Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches 
of his grace and kindness toward us in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So beginning in verse 4, Paul offers the only solution to what seems like a hopeless situation. The solution is God's mercy. The solution is God's mercy. Now think about this. Love, love that you have to continually earn. Because I know there's so many. Here's just, this is real talk. There's so many in this room that right now, you think that to get to heaven, it means you need to be good. But love that has to be continually earned doesn't seem holy, does it? It doesn't seem miraculous. It seems exhausting, right? Because it's, you've only got love then if you're in that happy, fuzzy place. If you're not in the happy, fuzzy place, you don't get love. You don't receive love. But here's God's love. God's love is complete. God's love is holy. God's love is way beyond the warm fuzzies. In fact, it does three things. God's love made us alive together with Christ. God's love brings the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God's love empowers us to obey his word because of Christ living in us. That's what God's love does. All right, God's love, it's transforming. It makes us alive. Now, this is incredible. Paul, just a few verses ago, he was saying, you're, you're dead, right? You're dead, spiritually dead in your trespasses and your sins. And now here we are just a few verses later with this but now, and it's not really a but now, it's more of a but God, but God then brings this amazing spiritual resurrection. And then verse 8 and 9, just the sharpening says, it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast. I know I've shared this, but this particular verse was so instrumental in my faith journey. Because early on as a young man in my late teens and even about 20, here's essentially the theology, my thoughts on God that I had. I had this theology that said, I just need to try better. I need to do, but I, I, need to, I need to be good. Now, what is good, right? That's where that question goes. What is good? I'm trying to be good. What's good? Well, in my mind, if you would have asked me at the age of 20, here's what I would have said. I would have said, I just need to be better than Jim Bob over there because he's a mess. And so when I get to heaven and God says, hey, Billy, why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to say, because I was a lot better than Jim Bob. That's why. And better than Wayne and Jethro over there, too. You know, I was better than those guys. That's why, Lord, you should, you should let me into heaven because I was a lot better than those rotten fellas. And yet, the reality is that just leads to a posture of me puffing my chest up, doesn't it? It just leads to pride. That's where that goes. It leads to this place that says I'm constantly trying to compare myself to everybody else and do just enough to stay one step above them. Here's what's so interesting. Things have changed so much in 2,000 years, and church, you're getting ready to see, they haven't changed at all. They've changed none. We just dress it up and look a little fancier today. That's all we do, right? Because Paul's really writing to two groups here. This church at Ephesus, they had Jews and they had Gentiles. The Jews, they were puffed up and full of pride, weren't they? Because they had this thought, we have the law. We have the law, and so we're God's people, so we're certainly better we're certainly better than those Gentiles. And then even within the Jews, you had this elite group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were like the conservative 
the conservative Jews, they were the ones who said, we're going to do everything we can to never break one single law, the 613 mitzvah. That's what we're going to do is we're not, yet even the most conservative, they broke the law, didn't they? All the time. That's why they made all of these rules trying to figure out how do I create circles around the law and dance around it. When you read through the Gospels, what you're going to see is Jesus doesn't talk to anyone as harshly as he talks to the Pharisees. Why? Well, because the Pharisees said when it comes to divorce, let's talk about like hypothetically what it is and what you need to have a certificate. What are they doing? They're looking for all the loopholes to dance around the heart of the law. And then they say, let's talk about the Sabbath, right? And what really is a Sabbath? And how many steps can you take before you're working? And one more step and you're going to be working. And what they did is it wasn't a heart connection between them and God. That wasn't what the Sabbath was about at all. They're looking for ways to go around it. And then they're looking for, well, who is my neighbor? All these things constantly, they're looking for loopholes. And what does that do? It's the comparison game. The comparison game constantly takes you to a place of pride. The Gentiles are no different. And Gentiles didn't have the law, though. They had culture. And so the Gentiles would live in a way that would say, we're better than the Jews, you know, because we fit in with culture. And we get culture. We're the cool kids. You know, we have money. And we have prestige and we have reputation. And what does that do? The same thing. It's trying to prop me up. And so in this one church, you had these groups where it was kind of like this subtle propping upness. And Paul says, no, you're missing it. It's nothing you can do. It's by faith that you're saved through grace, not by your own doing, not by work so that no one can boast. This isn't about your boasting. You're not saved. You're not made right with God because of the things that you can do. So imagine this. Imagine there's this kid, and they get the toy of their dreams for Christmas. Christmas was just like a month ago. I know it seems like a long time ago. It was just like a month, guys. It was just a few weeks ago. So imagine there's this kid, and they get like dream present. You picturing the present now? You got it? I don't know what the dream present is right now. Like, I don't Is it like a hoverboard or something? Maybe. Back in the day, it would have been like for girls, it would have been the cabbage patch. And girl, I'm dating myself, I know, but I just want to see how many of my generation are in here. Raise your hand if you had a cabbage patch. Okay, okay. Kip's mom raised her hand. You gave a kid one. Okay. Whew. All right. So, so we had some hands go, regardless of what the present is, because the cabbage, if you don't know what cabbage patch is, you need to Google it, because it's this really ugly doll, and I don't know why they were so popular, and it had like a birth certificate or an adoption certificate, it had something like that, and they, they were weird, right? They smelled so good? Did they smell? Oh, no, I never had one, but anyway, I got like a soccer ball, like, Merry Christmas, there you go, football, a tennis ball, like, and I was happy as could be. Anyway, picture that ultimate present they have, right? And then picture today, we're a month later, and they got the hoverboard, and they're using it to scrape the snow off the driveway with their hands, right? You picturing this? Or they're out there, and they got the tire, and they're swinging it around and using it like a baseball bat, and they're just like, imagine what you're going, or the cabbage patch, like back in the day, it would have been like, it's been a month, and doesn't smell the same anymore, so now I'm playing tug of war with the dog with it. You know, I'm like whipping it around, throwing it up into the fan to see what happens. There would be a point as a parent. I don't know how you would respond, but I know in my house, when my boys were small, what would have happened, we would have had to sit down. 
Like, we're going to have a sit down, have a little chat about this. And clearly, you don't care about that toy anymore. So that's my toy for a while. <laughs> it's kind of like that testimony for a lot of days, right? For a lot of days, it's getting ready to be my toy. And I'm probably then, just because I mean like this, I'm probably going to go through your toy box arsenal, and I'm going to see what else you don't care about. And I'm going to be like, oh, that is mine, and this is now mine, and this, this is mine. But I want you to think about the response of God. Because essentially, we took what God gave us, and we abused it, and we ruined it. But here's what God did. God went down to the toy store, and he looks at the entire section, and he says, I'm just going to give everything I have. I'll take that. And then he comes with this dump truck. Do you hear? Beep, beep, beep. And he dump trucks grace on us. And I think that's why we work so hard. And I'd love to say in the world, this is how the world, let's just talk about your world. This is why the people that you work with, the good people you go to school with, the people that are in your family, maybe you, this is why we try so hard to earn God's grace. Because we look at God's grace and we go, it can't be that. There is no way. Because in our earthly mind, that makes no sense. After what I've done, after who I am, when you understand the position you're in, I'm in Toledo and I'm trying to go on Mackinac, like when you really get where you are in spiritual death, when you get that, being dump truck with grace doesn't make sense. And so we try to earn it, right? We, we try to be good enough. We try to pray enough. We try to give enough. We try to go to the right classes. We try all this stuff. And yet, Paul makes it so crystal clear. You're saved by grace through faith. That's how you're saved. That's how you're rescued. That's how you get a right standing with God. Which brings us to our final point then. So that we live doing good works because of grace. We don't do the good works so that we can get grace. We get to this point where we understand, oh, I have already received it. Holy moly, now I get to live this out. Right now I get to do something with it. Here's what it says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is such a natural application. Because if what Paul says is true, if we spiritually were dead, spiritually, like you can't do anything. You're spiritually dead. If we were spiritually dead and then we were spiritually resurrected, through the blood of Jesus, through God's incredible, amazing grace. And now you have new life. Not just physically are you alive, but spiritually you are alive at the same time. There should be a response from us, shouldn't there? There should be this spot of God raised me for a reason. God raised me for a purpose. The word this uses is God's workmanship. Another word would be God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. His grace in you. This is his masterpiece. And he has created you for good works. He has created you to go make a difference in this world. Isn't that encouraging? Like you are so much more than the job you do. You're so much more than your family picture. You are more than that. You are God's masterpiece. So then you start thinking, I wonder what makes a life not just normal, but exceptional. Because let me tell you normal. Normal Normal is when you're going through life and there's challenges. You've been challenged in life. 
Right? Once upon a time, you tried to ride your bike, and you crashed. You did not ride it perfectly the first time. You had a challenge. Or you tried to get a 4.0. If you're like me, you did not get that 4.0, right? And um, so, so there were challenges. You tried to get into that college. You didn't get into the college of your dreams, right? There, there were challenges. You went to Oxford. You only got into Harvard, whatever. You know, there were challenges, you tried to get that job, there were challenges. That boyfriend, girlfriend, there were challenges. With mom or dad, there's challenges. Right? We have all these challenges in life. And then husband and wife, there's challenges. And here's what we do when there's challenges. Man, you think those kids that we watched on that video, that they did that the first time they tried? There's no way. Right? They had to try and try and try, and that's what we do. I'm going to look down at my hands and say there's challenges. The helping hand I'm looking for is at the end of my arm. So I'm going to work harder, and I'm going to try more, and I'm going to be better. That's a normal life. A normal life then looks at God and says, I'm spiritually dead. I'm not where I'm supposed to be spiritually. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try more. I'm going to go right there. Here's where an exceptional life goes. An exceptional life says, God's grace came and just dump trucked me. And because God's grace dump trucked me, I understand that it's Jesus on the cross, not me. It is all Jesus that I get a right standing with God. He has come to rescue me and to save me and to make me new. Guys, when Jesus came, he didn't come to make you smarter. He didn't come to, to make you smell better. He came to make you new, right? And when you wake up to that and you say, now I get to live out my faith, I get to live as Christ to all I encounter, that's what an exceptional life looks like. You know, the thing is, though, even as Christians, it's easy to get off track, isn't it? In fact, some of you right here, right now, you've gotten off track. You've gotten off track because you look at some of your relationships, and your relationships, they're, they're a mess with some of them. See, some of you have got relationships where you say things to people that you ought not say, but you say it, don't you? Physically, there's stuff you shouldn't be doing, and you do them. Some of you in your marriages, your marriages are just catastrophic right now. They're, they're a mess, absolute mess. Some of you, when it comes to your school or your work, you know what character and integrity looks like, but you've been starting to live in this little gray middle, haven't you, where you bend the rule here, you twist this over there, and you think, well, I mean, everybody does it. It's all right. Can I just tell you today's word, what it should do is just realign our lives with him? What the word today should do should help us to wake up and look at the relationships in our lives and say, I want to live as holy because he is holy. He has rescued me. How can I not respond to that kind of grace in my life? Husbands and wives, can I encourage you in something? Why don't you just say sorry? Try that. Try looking at that person you love and just saying, I'm sorry. And why don't you show a little mercy and patience in that relationship? And even for those of you that you don't like to talk about hard things and you see your spouse like they're craving to talk about that hard thing, will you just selflessly love them and say, I, I'm going to sit out, let, let's talk through this because you're worth it. Because God has showed me grace. How can I not show you grace? And your work relationship, where you're starting to live in that little fuzzy gray and starting to bend the rules and twist the rules, guys, you need to turn from that. We're not called to be like the rest of the world, in the world, not of the world, right? 
So why don't we live our lives as Christ, holy, pleasing to God? That's the way we should be living our lives. So picture this. I want to end today with you picturing this story. Imagine that um, you've got this little girl in your life. And depending on your age and where you are in life depends on the girl, right? Maybe it's a granddaughter, a daughter, a next-door neighbor, a niece. I almost said a nephew. Just stay with me here. There's a little girl. And let's say she just turned six years old. It's her birthday. And um, you got this great relationship with her. And you're like, it's your birthday. And you're like, I've got just the idea. Because she loves art. She loves to create. And so you're like, we're going to go to the DIA for your birthday. To the Detroit Institute of Art. Because there's a Monet exhibit going through. It's going to be awesome. And, you're so, and she's so excited. So you pick her up. And she's got on like some, some sparkly red shoes. And she's got one of those umbrellas that you spin around. And it's all twirly. You know what I'm talking about? It looks like the umbrella you should have beside the lily pad painting. You know Monet's lily pad. And so like she is so fire. But she's clumsy. Like she's real clumsy. She falls over herself all the time. And so you get to the DIA. And she's twirling her umbrella. And the guard gives her one of these. Nope. Not here, no twirling of the umbrella. And she's like, oh, sorry, you know. And she goes to put the umbrella down, and she's putting the umbrella down. And you're nowhere near the Monet. That's the other end, right? But as she's putting the umbrella down, she trips and cracks one of the display glasses. So you haven't even got started, right? You haven't even got started on the day. But you know what would happen if you bust one of those display cases. You're leaving the DIA. Like, your visit's done. It is over, game over. You don't get to see Monet. They're going to take and put you outside, and let's say they look at that little girl, and they hand her a $1,200 bill for the display case. And she's looking at it, and tears are going down her face. See, this is that moment that you look at her, and you say to her, you don't have 50 cents. You got sparkly red shoes, which that's great, but mom bought those for you. You don't, you don't have, let, let me take this. Because I can fix it, you can't fix it. I'm not even sure how I'm going to fix it, but I'll, I'll figure it out. Because see, what we're talking about is bigger than being in Toledo or cracking a display case. We're spiritually dead. That's when Jesus came and lived a perfect and sinless life. And was crucified on a cross to redeem us, to purchase us out of the slavery of death. That's why he came. He came to redeem us, to purchase us out of the slavery of death. And so this is that place where you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you've never done that, man, today should be the day that you do that. Today should be the day that you stop and say, Jesus, I believe that you came and you lived and you died and you rose again. And I'm placing my faith and my trust in that truth today. And I realize 8.30 in the morning, Sunday morning, most in here were brothers and sisters in Christ. You've already done that. So my encouragement to you is to look in the mirror and ask yourself, how have I been living? Have I been living a normal life or an exceptional life? Because today is a day I want to start to bring everything back into alignment with him. Start to drift a little bit, but I'm going to bring everything back into alignment. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your incredible word, the way that it still sharpens, the way that we see that things have changed so much over 2,000 years, but they really haven't changed. We still fall into the same traps. We still buy into the same lies. Our temptations are no different today. 
Lord, I do pray for those in the room that maybe they've never placed their faith in you, that just right now, they're not even worried about what I'm saying. They're just focused between you and them, and this is the moment where they surrender all to you. Lord, I want to pray, though, for my brothers and sisters in this room right now that um, they have started to drift. Maybe they've started to live life in a way that says, I'm trying to work to earn my salvation. Maybe they, they forgot the incredible dump truck of grace. But Lord, I pray for an alignment this morning between our lives and you. Because your amazing grace has changed us. It's made us new. And we thank you and we rejoice and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, at this time, we're going to stand and we're just going to continue to sing this amazing grace. This amazing grace with a sound that every time we hear about it should open our ears in a fresh new way.